So 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So this morning I'm sitting in the um, uh, front room. I'm having a coffee. And my, um, my oldest daughter, Leanne, comes in, sits beside me, having a drink. and says, what are, you, what are you speaking on today then, Dad? And so I turn around and say to her, well, it's um, food sacrifice to idols. And she looks at me and says, all right, that's nice. <laughs> What's that got to do with life today? Oh, I said, a lot, actually, quite a lot. And that's what I'm looking at, although that's not my theme as such, but that's the passage that we're looking at. We're looking at a letter written to a group of Christians, something, somewhere in the region of nearly 2,000 years ago, in a distant place far removed from you and I today. And yet we are discovering, as we look at this letter, the series that is entitled Charismata and Character is the series that I've taken, and it's unpacking the letter to the Corinthians. And we're finding that as we look at this letter, things that seem to be happening to a group of people in a long distant place far away, there are principles for life today. And so this morning, there's a principle that we want to look at, that we're going to look at uh, as we progress and look at this together. And so I'm unpacking a series. So you might be here for the first time today. And what I'm speaking on is part of a series of messages, which I'm sort of halfway through my, the series that we're looking at. And so that's where you may come into. My title is Freedom and Responsibility. And it's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to look at this together just for a few moments this morning. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 8 reads like this, says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in this world. And that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating at an idol's, sorry, in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. In other words, gets back into that which they escaped from, embroiled in paganism again. When you sin against your brother, uh, your brothers, in this way, um, and in this way, and would their weak conscience you sin against Christ? Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. 
a spurious chapter and you start to read that, you think it's got nothing. You know, when I told my, my Leanne I was speaking on this this morning, she looked at me as if to say, all right then. <laughs> you seem to know what you're doing, but okay. And then when I explained in about a minute what it was all about, she said, good thought. That really does make sense for us today. And in a few moments, we're just going to look at what does this really have to say to us today. bit of background, first of all. Just set the scene uh, so we can see where we go um, with this. At that time, Corinth being in, sort of, uh, in Greece, obviously, 2,000 years ago, um, religion, life, social life, practice, work, was all considered one thing. You didn't have a bit of religious time and a bit of social family time and then um, a bit of work life. It was considered as a whole. It's a bit in some eastern countries to this day. If you baptize as a Christian out of Islam, you're in trouble because Islam is everything. It's life. It's, it's, it's a whole. It's a totality. It's uh, your work. It's your God. God is ev- in, in everything. And in sort of a, the cultural background of the day, it would have been similar to that. that. The understanding of life would be that so paganism would have been the, the temple. And the, we've looked at this at Great Lakes. And I can't unpack it now. But uh, in Corinth, there was a... Um, to the goddess of love, there were over a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female. And the, the temple there and a number of other temples were huge buildings that had eating halls uh, where you would go and sit to eat and, and have food and, and worship. And, and so to try and come out of paganism would have been a huge thing because it embroiled the whole of life, in other words. So the background to this is that this was life. The way in which people lived and worshipped was the whole of life. It embraced all of life. And so the, these, the group of Christians coming out of, being saved out of the world and yet still being in the world. And this is a, a, a message for us today that we are called out of the world in which we live and yet we are released still to live in that world but not necessarily be of everything that goes on in that world. And there's a sort of a fine line. And so these um, believers of the day had come out of paganism and a pagan background and were following God and Christ and seeking to do that in home and family and work. And this was a challenging time for them to be living in. Today we compartmentalize, don't we? And so we can have church Sunday, if you wanted to do it this way. It's not the way that I would do it. I would, for me, Christianity is life. God is life and it's the whole of life. But you could live Sunday like this, work like that, and at home like something else. And, uh, but it wasn't that, that, that they didn't face that. They faced the totality of life. And then this was the difficulty for them because so worship and life was all one thing. Um, idolatry pervaded this city and the life of these people. Um, worship of other gods pervaded their lives. Now that was one thing. You think, well, they can escape that. They can become Christians. But food... And particularly meat, um, was used in sacrifice and was blessed at the temple. This was a huge thing. And we're going to go somewhere with this and explain the background to this. But the meat of the day would have been blessed uh, at the temple. It would have been given in worship at the temple. This was huge. This wasn't just a little bit. Of, this was a way of life. 
And so tons and tons of meat. If you look at the Old Testament, the amount of animals that would have been slaughtered, it's tons of meat. So tons and tons of meat would have gone to the temple, been used in temple worship and ritual and sacrifice, be used in the various parties at the temple and the eating places at the temple. Um, And then... Um, left over quality meat that would have been used for the, the, the temple priests and priestesses, used in the sacrifice, there would have been a huge amount of meat, was sold in the marketplace. And it would have been good meat, and it sold at a reasonable price. And so what was happening was a number of things that these, the Christians of the day were facing. was a number of things. Number one is that the sacrifice of meat pervaded society and everything that they would have ate would have obviously been almost worshipped over. That worried believing Christians that could this be demonized food? And so temple practice pervaded life. And if you didn't go to temple practice and you didn't sit down and have a bite to eat, you were shunning your life and you would become outcast. So they, they had this was, was a main part of life. Secondly, then, the leftover meat, which is good quality meat, was being sold in the marketplace. And wherever you went, you could come across meat that had been probably given to a god or a goddess. And it was would have been good meat. And so there was this debate within the church. Should we eat this food? Do we become unholy? If I eat food, we don't know. We don't know if it's been sacrificed. Probably it had been. The majority of it was the norm of the day. So if I eat this food, do I become contaminated by a demon or a god associated with this food? And, and so there, but then there in the church, there were those believers that were saying, and this is why Paul says this, who had knowledge and understanding and had been believers for a while, was saying things like, don't worry about it. There's only one God. Don't, don't get stressed out about this. Um, it doesn't make any difference. You can eat this stuff. And they were eating food that had been sacrificed at the temple because there's only one God. If there's only one true God, there's no other real gods. So therefore, this can't touch you. That's the sort of logic of their thinking. And so there were believers in the church saying, it's okay, go ahead. So they were eating. It's, it's, we're free. We're released, we're under the law of grace, we're now freed from sin and death and the powers of other gods. There is only one God. We're free, and so let's eat this stuff, it's okay. And though there were other believers in the church, maybe they'd only just become Christians, or perhaps they'd come just saved out of, converted out of a really filthy pagan background, saying things like, how can you eat that stuff? Don't you know what goes on in that temple? Don't you know the immorality, the filth that's attached to that? The gods that this is being given to. That, you know, this stuff is tainted. And you just don't know the ritual, the orgies, the sacrifice, the evil that is behind this. And so there was a debate that swirled and went on. And so there were some people saying it's okay, they were eating it. There were others that were saying it's terrible, you shouldn't. And they'd come from a terrible background. And it was in their minds thinking, this is awful. And so there were some people saying it's okay, others that saying it wasn't. Some that said it was okay were upsetting those that said it wasn't. And, uh, and Paul talks about people being caused to stumble. And into this, Paul shares some teaching and principles that really can help us. Although it was something happening at the day, we're going to lift some principles in just the next few moments that will help us in life at this moment. For some believers, their knowledge allowed them to eat the meat. Only one God. For other believers, out of paganism, it was terrible. And it was an awful thing to do with the things that went on in the background. So Paul says, okay, you know, it is okay to eat this meat. There is only one God. I agree with those that say that. And this Paul says it's okay to eat this meat. We're freed from this. And then on the other hand, he then says this, but I am free to do this. 
Because we know that there is only one God. But, and this is the but, if it causes another person to fall, stumble, and lose their faith, then I won't do this. So he says, we are free. So to one side, he says, you are free. And to the other, he says, but if this causes another to stumble, I then won't do this. In other words, he says, there is a freedom in life, but that freedom carries a responsibility. Look at others around you. And it's that that we're going to look at for the next few moments. Set the scene, sort of set the background. So he says, there's a freedom for your life. You can do many things. As a Christian, you're free to do much, but with it carries a responsibility There's outcome, there's others, there's life. It spills over onto other people, society. You know, we live in a world today, don't we? And this is why I think this is something now relevant for you and I right at this moment. We live in a world that says, what about my rights? There's nothing wrong with human rights, by the way. It's good to have rights. But we live in a world that now pushes rights to almost an extreme. Uh, What is it, the... um uh, there's a, a, a cleric who uh, has um, the government wanted to deport a particular cleric um, back to his country of origin because of some of the incitement to hatred that this particular cleric has uh, encouraged uh, in the places that he worships in. And it's been proven. And, uh, but the Court of Human Rights said, well, it would infringe this man's rights because of, and there were certain reasons why. And uh, we live in an age, don't we? But what, so, so people are then say, well, shouldn't he not go back and face judgment and trial in his own country? What about all the people that have been hurt through some of the things that this person has said? What about their rights? So we, we, we live in an age, don't we? And that's just one tiny little example. But um, I t- remember telling you the story of um, some young people outside a church in Newcastle many years ago who were causing havoc, throwing eggs at windows, smashing this, effing and blinding in the meeting. I thought, I've got to do something now. We, 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 we're gonna... it, was, it, it was getting to the stage. And I remember this one particular day, not manhandling anyone, but just motioning to this group of two or three um, teenagers. And they were, get you off me. And they were... This, that, and the other, I was everything under the sun. We know our rights. We're going to call. I thought, even at court, this age, you know, it's my rights. But what about the rights and responsibility? What about responsibility? With rights, there's a flip side of something called responsibility. My rights impinge upon somebody else. And this is what Paul was saying. You know, in life, you're free to do, as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God, obviously, you are free. But in that freedom of exercising my right to do, it's my right to sit there, or it's my right to drink that, or it's my right to listen to this, or whatever it is that we might suggest. Absolutely true, maybe. But with it also comes the other side of the coin, or the balance in the seesaw. You are responsible. No one talks about that today. Have you noticed that? I think it's amazing. No one will say, it's my responsibility. I'm going to do this, or... I don't hear that. I don't hear that anywhere. I don't hear that anywhere. You will hear, it's my right. I'm due. You will not hardly hear anywhere, it's our responsibility or my. So this is what Paul is sharing. And it's that that I want to unpack just in these few moments. So there's some principles for today. So we're going to look at three things. The first thing is knowledge balanced with love. In exercising a balance between my freedom and rights, 
and also a responsibility in life. If we can get, we, if there's a balance to life, there's an amazing balance to life. And Paul says, if you can get this balance in the exercise of your freedom, which is your personal rights, so you can great and get on and live life. If you can balance that with your responsibility, we'll have a great world. You'll have a great church. You'll have a great place to be. Be absolutely amazing. And so Paul talks to the Corinthian church and says, right, this is some th- principles I want you to live by. And these principles can be exercised for us today. And it, be it food sacrifice to idols is one thing. But it might just be your preference or what you prefer in church life. You might like something a certain way. And somebody else might like something another way. And so it's, how, it's called the give and take of life, isn't it? Balancing rights with responsibility. And so this could be a way of getting on in family. Some principles that we now share could help in marriage and home. Some principles that we now look at will help in the life of our church. Or the church that you've come from that you represent. Some principles that we now look at could even help perhaps at work. Balancing rights, responsibilities, freedom and others and um, we're, we're going to look at those so the number one thing so Paul says in verses um, chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 he says now about food sacrifice to idols you know that all possessed knowledge knowledge puffs up but love builds up a man who thinks he knows something does not know as he ought to know but the man who loves God is known by God Paul sets down the first benchmark um, I would say if and I haven't drawn it, but if you imagine a seesaw and at the center of the seesaw is the pivotal point. So the pivotal point is here and the seesaw is here. And if rights is on one side of the seesaw and responsibility sits on the other side of the seesaw, it's getting the balance, isn't it? Uh, if put it another way, um, law and liberty are on either side. Rights, responsibility, okay? Freedom and foregoing my freedom, if it, depending on how you want to say it. If it, they sit on either side, then what Paul is saying here, at the, what, what is the, 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 the pivotal point in life is love. Love for God. He sets that out in his initial agenda as he sets out the principles for life. And so we see in verses 1 to 3 here, Paul speaks about knowledge, understanding, knowing, knowing about God, knowing what to do. They knew that this food had been, was to, to idols, but they knew that there's only one true God. Uh, but Paul says, that's good. Knowledge is good. Understanding is good. But he says, what brings the balance and will be a pivotal point for your life is love. Love God. You know, this morning, our worship, I just felt what we were doing in our worship this morning was just one thing, loving God. It's as simple as that. As we worship this morning, I had a real sense, and so I said, it's a fresh, it's a, it feels fresh today. There's something about, I know that when we come, and we all come in with cares of the day, we will come in with different things that are concerning you and I, and I've got my own concerns, let me show you. I'm sure that you've got yours. As we come and we love our creator, the most amazing thing happens. This is what he says. Look at this. He goes on to say this. But the man who loves God. What does it say? Have a look at it with me. Verse 3. But the man or woman for that matter who loves God. What does it say? Thank you, Margaret. Is known by God. 
my word. Now that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. So that's why I think this morning we spend quite a long time worshipping, but it's not wasted time. Nor is it hyping up time. I don't believe in hype. I am sort of the sort of person that is so don't believe in hype that, you know, I believe in hope. Loving God, he loves you back more. Let me tell you, more. Time loving God is not wasted time. You might feel very hurt. You might have a thousand things on your mind this morning. I'm sure you have. But as you set a course in your heart, and this is your sacrifice, because it talks about sacrifice of worship at times, doesn't it? And as you set a course in your heart to love God, to look towards God, he does an amazing thing. He knows you. He loves you. Last week we were reminded, uh, Helen shared a prophetic word. Um, Everything you do is a beautiful thing to me. I don't know if you you were with us last Sunday morning. It's time spilled over as we had a time of worship and prayer and ministry. And the time seemed to go on a bit that morning. But it was because we were just restoring this feeling that whatever we do is not wasted. If you think like you want to give up, what's the point of all of this? The Holy Spirit was telling us, everything you do is a beautiful thing for me. I feel as an echo to this this morning as I look. This is the key to life. It's not how much we know about God. It's that God knows you. Of course, it's good to know. Of course, it's good to have knowledge. I want knowledge of the Bible. Why does Paul say this? He says this because of this. Look, knowledge, he said, leads you to being puffed up. Not Well, you could be full of hot air <laughs> for all that matter. It could puff you up. But he's saying that knowledge puffs up. It, it leads to strong, strong opinion. Hey, it's not, not wrong in having convictions. But if your opinions become so strong that you get entrenched, it only takes the Holy Spirit to have to dig you out. King David would often say, I'm in a pit. Oh God, that only you let me out of the pit. It was a pit of despair at times in the Psalms. But sometimes my opinions dig a hole. Have you, have you known when you were speaking to someone, you think you're digging a hole for yourself here? I've done that, let me tell you, because I can have quite strong convictions. Strong convictions are good. Opinion is good. These are all good things. But don't dig a hole for yourself. That's what Paul is saying. Without love. And half the battles in church life is about, I don't like the worship, or I do like where I sit, or I don't like the heating on, or whatever it might be. And, And we become accustomed to certain, my rights and what I think. And before you know it, Paul says it's like pride. So what he says is this. Balance your knowledge with love. Love God. And you know, that's why I come here. I come here on a Sunday morning because I love God. And you know what? I want to be with other people that love God too. That's why you go to church. Uh, Bottom line, I know it's a bit simplistic. It it won't be because you love me or you love Oasis, Christian Centre, but you love God. And to love God is the most wonderful, beautiful thing. Because it says there, the man or woman who loves God is known by God. My word. I want you to take encouragement from that. As you love him, hurting as you might be and worried as you might be and anxious And with all the knowledge that you have as a Christian, and you know more than me, I don't, no doubt. 
I find the more I know, the less I know. Are you finding that? I find the more I know as a Christian. My father-in-law said to me, Adrian, you must know a lot about the Bible. You read it all the time. If only you knew me, Tony, Helen's dad. Because I'm able to quote the odd verse here and the odd verse there. I said, look, Tony, I said, the more I know, the least I know. I said, but the thing that matters is I love God and he loves me. So, love, pivotal point. Second thing. So, set a course to love him. Should we set a course to love God? Let's set a course in our hearts. So that's why we worship the way we do. We worship because we love and we love by God. And there's something powerful about being known by him. I felt this morning with many worries and anxieties that I have as I stand before you this day. Just worshipping God, I just felt I am loved. There's nothing like that in all your life. Known by God. Ah, That's great. That's good. That's good stuff. Lay hold of that for your life. It's going to balance out your life no end. You won't get so wound up about certain things that wind you up. Because you're not full of just knowledge. Full of love. And this is going to be the key, because we're going to move on, because it's going to be challenging. Second thing, he then talks about, so love is this principal central point. Loving God is going to be able to bring some of the balance to be able to balance out uh, my rights with our responsibilities. Um, He then talks in verses uh, about what is this stronger and weaker? What is all this about? So love is the first benchmark. What's this stronger and weaker stuff? The weaker brother, the stronger brother. And uh, you'll notice in verses 4 to 9, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing. Verse 5, for even if there's so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and many idols, yet for us there is but one, one God. Verse 7, not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Verse 9, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in idol's temple, won't they be emboldened to eat the food that has been sacrificed to an idol? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by this knowledge. There's this idea of, of, of a weaker conscience, and that would say that there are others with stronger conscience. And um, is he saying that there's like two classes of Christian here? You know, some of us are better than others. So you know, just give in to the ones that are, not as, that are a bit more inferior. They're not as, not as strong as you are. And he's not saying that at all. Because we are obviously all equal. We're all created in the image of God and we're all equal. But he, he gives it away when he says, has a weaker conscience. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, I pastored in Scotland. First church I went to was in a place called Aberdeen. And at that part of the world, it just so happened that everybody that I came into contact with, and this isn't a slur on the Scots that are here right now, right? But I came across a lot of problems with drink, drink-related issues. Uh, Scotland is known for Scotch whiskey. Uh, and uh, there's something in that. Anyway, I came across a lot of people with the drink-related issues in church life and who knew someone in the family that had. And we pioneered a church on a, a, a large, challenging area. And uh, everybody was coming out of a drinking background. 
being converted. We had loads of converts from hard drinking background uh, who were giving up the drink and some struggling with the drink. And um, I told you the story about the, t- the, g- the time I went to visit someone's house and someone pulled a knife out on me because he'd, he'd been a bit drunk. I said the prayer and I ran out the door while his eyes were closed. I've told that story. But all these things happened in a, a, a season of uh, all sorts of... Anyway, yeah, I've got, I've got great faith, as you can see. <laughs> we saw some amazing things happen at that place. Anyway, I, I, I did something. Looking at this... I come from an Italian background, and my father being Italian, my mother being English. And um, to have a glass of wine uh, on a Sunday was no big deal. My parents did not drink hardly at all, but would have a glass. It was like a cultural thing. When I go to Italy with my family, they don't drink tea or coffee. They have a glass of wine. I don't drink that many. I drink about seven or eight cups of uh, coffee a day. So I don't, when I go to Italy, replace my coffee with wine. So don't worry about that. But I would say to my, uh, um, you know, you know, my family there, I'd have a little bit, and I have it very watered down because they drink it very strong. They have their own, but I would have just a little bit, not to offend their conscience, and then that's enough. And I would say no, no more, and they all get upset. But I have a little bit, and that's enough. But um, when I was in Scotland, I, I, I did something. I found that, that I, um, I so. I abstained completely from alcohol, would not go into a pub, wouldn't go and eat in a pub, and wouldn't um, have a glass of anything. And uh, I, I did that following the principle that is shared here. My freedom was that I come from a background that doesn't have a problem, I'm not, I don't have a drink problem, and I don't think there's a problem in having a glass of wine, to be quite honest with you. The Bible says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't, get, don't drink, it says don't get drunk on wine. So I think that that's the principle there. But, uh, so, and I didn't force this on other people. But my freedom was, it's okay in my background to drink this. But because of the stumbling block I felt I'd be, and I was watched. People used to look at me. I was really watched. Because people were looking towards me for many things. Um, and I, I had a season where I just, we didn't do that. I didn't feel I lost out, and I didn't feel I put it on anyone else. It was no big, great shakes. I didn't think I was a super Christian doing it. I was just doing what I think the Holy Spirit was saying at the time. This is exactly what Paul says. This is exactly. So now, this is, this idea of stronger and weaker. Was I stronger and a person who came into the church at that time, who just come out of a drinking background, if they saw me having a drink, it was okay for Adrian, they would go and take one, and they'd take about 30. That's their weakness. Hey, but does that make me a better Christian? No. Paul says, whether you know more or you know less, it's all about love. And so out of love, I was able to defer and prefer the people um, around me. Now, what's your weakness? You don't have to tell me, by the way. (laughs) What is my strength? What areas of my life do I have a, a certain, you know, Penchant for. I can't speak any French at all. What's, what's, what's the area that you might have a weakness in? An area where your conscience, you think, ooh, I, 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 I fall into... You're not a bad Christian, you're a good person. But, you, but if I did that such and you did that, you know, what, what, what doesn't affect me, a strength for me, somebody will say, you know, for me, not worried about money. Buying things, that's not a big deal. That might be your strength. You know, you're not, so you're not a materialistic type of person. But your weakness could be, you know, 
don't know. I don't want to pick something in case it is your weakness. <laughs> you, you see where I'm coming from? Strengths and weaknesses in life. And this is what Paul is getting at. You don't know who you're sitting beside. And this is why you can't legislate. If I legislate for this, it's called legalism. In other words, don't wear makeup, don't wear trousers, don't go to the cinema, don't do this, don't do that. Before you start doing all this sort of stuff, you can't legislate for that, and I wouldn't do that. It's all about, this is why Paul says it's about the heart. Oh, I've stood on some of your toes. This is why Paul says that the law is the law of love, it's the law of the heart. And therefore, we have to be aware what could be the weakness for somebody beside me. And what could be my strengths? So Paul says, this is an amazing law. It's an amazing law, the law of love. It's amazing. Paul says, if we can do this, you'll have a great church, you'll have a great marriage, a great life, and a great work. It's not utopia. This is the church. This is living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the weak and stronger. So this is what he's saying. So some of you might have a weak conscience. So, that, so it's like those that, that could eat meat and those that can't eat meat. It's because it's a bit like the alcoholic and, or the person with a, a now come out of alcohol, but they have that weakness for it. I picked that one because it was one that was a big thing in my life, and we didn't big song and dance about it. And then when I came out from that background, and as soon as I moved south, and I pastored in a church, south is quite north, but in Newcastle is quite north, but when I moved south, I was shocked at the openness to have a glass of wine. But I didn't say to people, you can't do that. It was just, I just coming out of that environment where it was a weakness and it was a difficulty for people. But it was a strength for others. So I didn't, didn't say to those people, you can't do that, you can't do this. I would say, if there's anything that's not according to the Bible, then you don't do it. But there's this thing called conscience, isn't there? So strength and weakness. So who is, what's the strength and weaknesses around you and beside you? You don't know, do you? This is why Paul says, be aware, love. Finally, third and final thing. So there's this responsibility. So with life, therefore, I do have a right and I have a freedom to do what I like. So finally, then, is this idea of responsibility and freedom. So Paul says, you know, stronger and weaker. You don't know what's the strength. You don't know what the weakness is beside you. You just don't know beside you what is the strength, what is the weakness. But this is governed by love. You don't legislate with law. It's the law of love. If you legislate with law, you find you get into a very legalistic environment. You can't do, you must do. But what are all the different weaknesses that we would have, we would have a, a list as long as your arm, wouldn't there be? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Don't. We've got to look out for each other, haven't we? And so this is what he says finally in verses 10 to 13. Paul says, be careful, however, that you exercise uh, your freedom, that the exercise of your freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, watch what you do. You've got responsibility. You've got rights, he says. You've got rights, finally. But be careful how you exercise that freedom of those rights. Because it just might spill over onto somebody else. It doesn't mean to say you pander. Somebody says to you, you can't do that because that will upset me. It's not, that's not a, a, a law that allows anything goes. Because we've all got to grow up and grow together. And so this preferring and deferring to another is that we will defer and prefer another so that they can grow a strength in that area and that weakness can become a strength it doesn't mean to say you just pander to any wind and idea oh that's going to upset me so you better not do that we'd have anarchy we wouldn't get anywhere would we what paul is saying here is this is that you do have a right and you do have the freedom and you're free to do this but just remember the weakness in this case it was idle food what might be the case that you're sitting beside somebody right now. And you prefer and honour them and be responsible for them out of love 
You will give to them. Why? You'll give to them so that they can grow in a strength in that area. So we've all got to grow up and get stronger, haven't we? And then we won't have anarchy. So, as we close then, we have rights, but we also have responsibilities. The pivotal point is love. Love God and be loved by him. Love for God and we will love each other. It's so simple. It stares us in the face. It's incredible. If we can love him, we will be loved by him. And we will look towards loving one another. And we will hear the heart weakness that we have. Weakness in our conscience. The struggle that we might have with that. Or that attitude. Or that practice. Or that thing. And then we'll prefer. But we'll prefer in a way of love. That allows then a growth of strength in that area. For the weakness doesn't need to stay a weakness. We've all got to grow up in God. And move on in him. Now this will meet in every aspect of life. Marriage, work, home. And it will guaranteed 100% meet us in the life of our church. Half the splits and the arguments in church could be dealt with. By following these simple principles of life. Half the arguments splits in marriage and home. I'm not being simplistic. It is a challenge, but we could follow these simple principles of life. Let's pray together. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, uh, we've been reminded this morning, you are so amazing, wonderful, incredible God who loves his people, the church, so much. And we just love loving you. And uh, what's most amazing is that anyone who loves God is known by God and loved by him. Wow. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we gather here this morning with the different things that go on in our homes, lives, work, church and family, we just say, Lord, we open up our hearts and we say, we love you. We love you. Would you help us uh, with the balance of rights and responsibility, freedom And maybe the forgoing of my freedom. As we look to prefer and honour one another, we do that out of love, not legislation, not law, not legalism, but out of love. So Lord, we love you and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you be so free and released amongst us this morning that we may truly love you, love one another and love the world around us and about us as well. For your glory and in your name we pray. Amen.